Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now and we're lowering the floor. The band is blistering, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four. One, two, three, four. Andre Fossilini. Fossilini? Faustinelli. Faustinelli. Um, yes. I grew up with a lot of Italians, so I'm getting close. Uh, welcome to the podcast. You're the master blender for Mark Anthony's uh, Wine and Spirits. Um, you are here because there's uh, one Canadian whiskey that's really been kind of taking over uh, in Canada, and I, and I hear from your PR team that's coming to the U.S. soon, so this is great. Um, uh, but we're here to talk about Bareface uh, Canadian whiskey. Yes. Um, it's a terrific bottle. It kind of, well, we'll describe the bottle a little bit, but uh, it's a terrific bottle. But this is intended to be kind of like a, it's a $40 price point in Canada. Um, and it's a whiskey that's made in Ontario. Yes. It's off. being aged in Ontario. And then it's shipped across the country to You go BC. to BC because that's where Mark Anthony's wine. Not really. Uh, there was a winery to be involved in this project. Mm-hmm. There is the Mission Hill Winery. We needed a space. And mm-hmm. the concept was to, instead of sending wine cask into a, a whiskey distillery, mm-hmm. we we wanted to revert completely the concept and bring whiskey into a winery and treat whiskey in a very different way. So it was all about um, finishing. Let me let me explain the point. So mm-hmm. um, winemakers don't have a, the, the, the time to wait years to finish a wine. Mm-hmm. Wine is to be get the best oak in mm-hmm. the shorter period of time. And uh, they don't have years ahead. There's so no wait statements on wine. Quality oak yeah. is sitting in wineries, not in whiskey distilleries. Because, uh, again, apart from the fact that a wine cask, when it's new, costs uh, three to four times, five times what uh, you pay for a whiskey cask. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why, because you don't have the, the time to mm-hmm. wait. So this is a process that is really bringing uh, whiskey finishing into, into the ground where the experts on finishing are. So, uh, and this was by engaging people that are outside whiskey into this project. Because in, in some elements, wine and whiskey are made similarly because of that. that uh, you were describing this to me earlier, but that, that, that whole moving the wine from one barrel to another barrel to another barrel, just kind of like fishing or, or aging something in, in certain barrels and, and not in barrels and kind of blending it together. So you want an oaky Chardonnay, you use a certain amount of oak and exactly. oak, and you just, you're constantly blending that bottle. So it's not like there's one barrel of wine that gets typically poured. It's just like Ex- whiskey exactly. in that respect. So you, you call this before, you said you're making whiskey in a winemaker style. You want to take a, a base whiskey, which I guess we're going to taste here today. Yes, absolutely. And we're and kind of go through that blending process of the different stages over what you said, hundred days. Yeah, it's a hundred day that we start with the with the whiskey we bring in, mm-hmm. uh, then through the the ex wine cask mm-hmm. and and the type of wine. I will explain exactly what is the usually the varietals that I like for okay. that, and then how we end up with the virgin high quality oak. To finish mm-hmm. this, okay, and how that layering process really builds like the structure in this whiskey in a very different way, and the transformation is uh, in a hundred days because, uh, you know, seventy six percent alcohol is the, the the proof you're coming in, uh, so there is a lot of extraction. And this is you know different in, in bourbon perhaps because with bourbon you certainly don't have finishing in many cases. You're taking very specific barrels for parts of the warehouse yeah. and you're blending for favor for flavor. Uh, in Scotland. The barrels don't generally 
are generally kind of muted over a larger production line. Exactly. And then you may have finishing barrels or what have you. So here we're going to be doing, and this isn't necessarily new, but we're going to be blending a lot of different barrel types together. Exactly. All right, let's start. Step, let's, let's go to step one. What, what are we doing? So let's start with the, uh, I recommend, let's start trying like the, I start where usually other brands finish. Okay. So I start with a very good seven years old uh, single grain. So mm-hmm. I'll let you taste it. And that's, uh, and I guess, corn-based, I yes. assume? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, gluten-free also. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody out there will argue you know, with you. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, but uh, it's fine. It's distilled at the end. There's no issue. So this smells like a standard Canadian whiskey of sorts. Now, you don't, you don't say where you distill specifically. I don't. I don't like because mm-hmm. it's not part of why uh, we did this project. So, uh, I I try to maximize the quality of what I'm sourcing, mm-hmm. and uh, personally, I don't want to attach that to a one specific name. But the age is what is important for me. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm looking here is a base that is not too aggressive mm-hmm. because to do a finish, you cannot start with something too like a peppery bomb. Mm-hmm. You can't. Yeah. If you do that, there is no finish. Try to do some taste, some uh, wine cast finish that are coming from a very strong bourbon base. It's very hard to really take the wine notes in. Yeah. And here is all about the transformation and the collaboration here. So for me here, I needed something that is uh, double the age because I think uh, Canadian whiskey for me mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, this is best after mm-hmm. six. Mm-hmm. Uh, Regulation is set up on three, but I think three, six years, especially because the oak in the Canadian, you know, the Canadian, um, the cask available mm-hmm. and the cask that are aging Canadian whiskey, 99% of them, they are really old. Yeah. You need a lot of time. So I think six years is a good moment in which you start getting more fruitiness, more roundness in the, in the, in the whiskey. So I'm, I'm a fan of anything that is above six years. Right, because Canadian whiskey will, as with Scotland, will keep reusing barrels until they crash. And and I think some could be just saturated and offer a lot of flavor. This is a very light-colored whiskey, but it does does start getting those candied notes, the the candy lemon notes uh, that come through. Um, And it it starts, I feel, it tastes a little bit of anise, kind of that herbal. And you want a welcoming taste. Like, you don't want, in in Bareface is all about uh, something that you can drink, Mm -hmm. and it's not going to hit you from, like, the first sip. Mm-hmm. It's going to enter, like, uh, and it's going to be welcome, and uh, and so the star needed to be, super, especially the front of the taste, needed to be something that is uh, invitational. Mm-hmm. I like <laughs> that. Of. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So from here uh, is the whole crazy thing happened. We do something weird. This is, is when you come in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is where I, I, where usually people finish. I start. So <laughs> this is where we start. Mm-hmm. We do something crazy. That is shipping. All this whiskey across Canada to BC, <laughs> but but there is also a reason. It's not only because uh, the winery we were looking to work is in BC, mm-hmm. but also the BC wines we were targeting had all those high tannins, mm-hmm. big reds that you can find in the Okanagan Valley. So I okay. needed that. I needed the tannic tannic piece mm-hmm. to be very present. I needed the the heavy reds, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and Cabernet Sauvignon. We're not doing this with Pinot Noir, ex-Pinot Noir barrels. Okay. We're not doing this with a, a ice wine cask. We're not doing it. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean we're not going to do it, but again, is, that was not the project. The project was to 
create the biggest uh, interaction and mm -hmm. to get the biggest interaction needed cask that have been used like seven years in the winery, like maybe three vintages, okay. to produce very heavy, big, bold, uh, fantastic uh, uh, wines. Mm -hmm. um, and and that, that shipment of whiskey becomes suddenly 100 to 110 wine cask. Right, right. And each of them has a DNA. So let's talk about that. So, so let, you're picking let, the wine cast that these... The yeah, we're to. trying to uh, certainly look for those that are being used for a longer period of time. Because what I'm interested in here is to build the meat palate and the, the, the taste experience of, of you, you had a, like a welcoming whiskey and then suddenly you need to be structured in your mouth you want some oxidation. Mm -hmm. I think that is a great point that these, uh, there is so much wine influence that you have an oxidation in the glass. So literally, uh, I would suggest you need like a, a wine glass mm -hmm. almost right. to taste it like because it's going to get oxidated. So it's very interesting. It's unique to the category, like something that gets so much uh, influence on the wine side. So you get more of the acidity, dry fruits, yeah. um, cranberries, I would say. But I let you. Yeah, no, I, that that nails it for me. Um, I wouldn't get. I wouldn't. I've, cranberries is probably not a taste note I've ever used, so I don't know about. But it is kind of. But it, there is that kind of like that that winey. I see the kind of acidity, sweetness. Yeah, okay, Craig. I, I, I could. I could. I could definitely buy that. That's uh, that's a great description. Um, so each of them is a character, and yeah. uh, they give a very a different color. If I show you individual cask, it's a lot of color transmission because yeah. these casks are like impregnated four millimeters into wine. Yeah, like uh, all these uh, wine is is captured there, and the whiskey is coming in at very high proof, mm -hmm. and in ninety days extract everything, like rip out all right. these uh, right. these wine notes, and. Um, I'm assuming and, you're not treating the wine barrels. And, and this is a little bit of yeah. back of the story. Literally, yeah. when we landed here, we say we have a pro we have a, an innovation. We have something different. Mm -hmm. We say let's go ahead. Let's do the project. Right. The next step came after. Yeah. And what is interesting is after we say we need some finishing. Like mm -hmm. uh, what, you, what you can taste here is still very highly drinkable, dangerously mm -hmm. drinkable, and uh, but still like is missing probably the back mm -hmm. and the back came from an idea with the Cooper in Napa that was, uh, I was asking him, he's like, how I can get the spice? Right. This is a corn whiskey. Right. How I can get the spice in. Yeah. And the guy is like, oh, think about like Hungarian. Yeah. He's like, why? Yeah. It's what we use. And the guys in up in the Valley uh, are using for Zinfandels. Yeah. When they are so cherry pie and like too, too sweet to like a pie. Yeah. And they need some structure. Uh, Hungarian works better than French. Right. So literally that was the idea to come down the right, street. This is French that. oak, what I'm drinking now. The yeah. Right French now oak. it's all French. Yeah. Um, I don't use American. Uh, uh, I feel is I already have the American from the seven years old, even sure. if it's multi-use. Mm -hmm. Uh, I already have enough of vanilla notes and honey notes. Uh, I'm I'm good with yeah. that. Now I introduce the florality, like some of like the and the acidity of the wine. Yeah, and and to layer the last piece is mm -hmm. uh, is the Hungarian. Okay, but the Hungarian is very interesting. You are seeing here three samples, yeah. not not only one. The Hungarian stage 
each toast give a very different flavor mm. to the whiskey. So let's go through each of them because they are very different okay. from each other. Sure. So we're going to taste right now how it tastes, Hungarian virgin oak, air dry three years under the elements, so okay. seasoned, how they say in, uh, in the industry. Um, after you just infuse... Uh, the time mm-hmm. in Virgin mm-hmm. is 14 days. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This so is Gary fast. Very strange. Um, and does that already have the wine cask? Or is this yeah, just already had so the wine cask and you are adding the, the final layer. Okay. And the final layer ends up in the three directions. Medium, medium plus, mm-hmm. and heavy toast. So let's oh, sorry, start yeah. by the medium. And there is a reason for each of them. So... So suddenly you have a whiskey that was not carry any oak notes, like very yeah. present. Now it's all there. And yeah. now it's a super oaky like yeah. note. Like uh, I'm getting it was so distinct. Like it's 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 always gonna be um yeah, it's always that that kind of wakes you up. It's like it just, that black pepper and the sweetness really comes through. So this is purely to say, let's put some oak into mm-hmm. this whiskey. And uh, we add it this way. Like, and this is uh, where the charnels come through. The yeah, thing. yeah. And I, I will show you pictures of how we, we char or toast. This is toast. This is toast. Okay. The last one will be almost char. Like this is already char. Wow, it's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. So how toasting impacts. And you don't need years when you have high quality oak. And this oh. is all the learning about uh, this project. 14 days. Yes. Wow. That's 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 a different drink already. Like um, yeah, right, the the viscosity's there, the palate's full. There is a finish happening yeah, now. The finish is starting. You did ahead before, yeah. right? Yeah. So that for me is like the oak element. So let me, let's keep like yeah, the others, the and yeah, uh, you yeah. should try separate this one. So you're going to see what it tastes when you put medium plus, like means a little bit more toasted mm-hmm. than the previous one. So the point with medium plus was uh, is uh, the spice. Yeah. I need the spice. Right, right. So the spice come from the medium plus, and then some viscosity start coming up also. Because yeah, and the nose is very similar. It's just yeah, kind of maybe more like it's red the apple notes, but it's the the finish. And the, you start getting that um, um, that kind of crushed citrus notes. It's kind of the the zestiness on your palate really comes through really nicely on this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the the purpose of that one, and then the last one. That is the last element, is the heavy toast. It's almost char. Mm-hmm. But for a high quality cask, it's like you don't want to overdo it because right. it's kind of, a, uh, you don't want to ruin it. So this right. is all about texture. Heavy toast gives uh, an incredible texture. So uh, you don't talk about texture in whiskey. Uh, I think in this case, we can talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is uh, about um, that sensation of like um, savoriness and plentiness or fattiness or mm-hmm. or umami like that could be the umami piece of this blend right right, and, right. Uh, and that is that bacon fat uh barbecue um, uh, and then all that monster texture compared with the medium that you is more th- thin right yeah, no, the, the, the oiliness kind of comes through that um, like the bacony the, the yes. butteriness really comes through um and that's it. That's the final product, or uh, this is like I guess a different pr- proof point. This is uh, is the same forty two point five. It's proof down yeah. to to usually it's like seventy six, seventy 
74 and a half, yeah. depends on the batch by batch. So at the end, this is a blend of these three. It together. takes you about uh, 90 days to do this. So you go, boom, 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 yeah, boom. in the last 10 days, I'm finishing and, and wrapping up. So is right. a very complex process because each cask has an individuality. So it uh, um, takes me a week. It's not a recipe. Right. It's right. not a blending recipe. It needs to be readjusted every time. How do you so, know the casks? Because this is you're choosing casks before you're pouring whiskey. So are you smelling them? Are you like what are you doing with? Uh, what I try to understand is the last wine, mm -hmm. the cooper, mm -hmm. and uh, how long has been used. Right. So these are the three key variables. So it starts the spreadsheet. You're kind of going through, kind of picking and then I and, and then, then I learn the from the previous batch. Yeah. So it's like okay, I just learned that uh, 2013 is too young. Right, right, right. And um, and it's becoming too too oaky. So this becomes like a less ingredient. So every batch mm -hmm. we we select of those hundred right. the right ones, and the ones that don't work get into kind of a solera process okay. on the back. Yeah, the everything gets into the older Hungarian cask and become like a very dense and very flavorful. Uh, uh, explain, this, explain the slurry process. In, so in you, you have uh, a number of casts that are new that receive everything that is not being used in a specific blend and you use in every batch a part of that and then you refill it with another part. So it's kind of, it's going to keep going for as long this program is going to keep going. So you do have barrels there, that is going to be a long term yeah, that is yeah. going to be giving that 3% element. Yeah that is going to give uh, ensure continuity and uh, and uh, consistency. So you're in BC for 100 days. Nice nice weather out there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of whiskey and wine. Yeah, it's a, a lot of my work is a half of the time is uh, is the program and the other half is the innovation because the uh, the whole point and the, the day you see the bottle, the bottle uh, has scratches in it. Mm -hmm. And it's all about breaking in and, and really innovating. So there is a, a massive pipeline. Right, right. And he's not doing, you know, a cask strength uh, uh, or a specific year. It's about really bringing uh, a completely different approach on on Canadian whiskey that for me is the best uh, like regulation to, to run innovation. Uh, I think uh, there is a massive opportunity. For me, it mm -hmm. strikes to me that you Google type of whiskeys right. and Canada doesn't show up. Right. And it's kind of more than twice Irish whiskey in size. Like right. how that is even possible, right? So uh, that for me is being like uh, the opportunity. Like there is a huge opportunity. We can do things that the, the Scottish guy cannot do. We can do things that uh, when you are strict, like when you are like defined by the regulation of bourbon, yeah. you can't. I think there is a, Bareface is really here for that to showcase what you can do in Canada. and Right, because uh, I mean, it, so you're not using like the 9029, 909 rule. Not in this, this no, 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 we're not using. you're not using. shy to it. You, you no, no, open. no, I'm, yeah. I'm totally aware, but I'm not using it. Right, so the 9029 is the rule where you can use... Um, uh, you know, a wine or sherry or cognac uh, and as an addition to a whiskey as opposed to, you know, finishing it in casks. Uh, or you can use like a young rye. You can use like two-year-old 
whiskey, which in Canada wouldn't be considered a whiskey. It has to be three mm -hmm. years, so it's technically a spirit uh, uh, in, in Canadian terms. Um, but uh, that's the 909 rule where uh, somebody can take a really old whiskey and uh, just, you know, uh, and, and the, uh, the distributors have done this. They've done a really old Canadian whiskey and said, let's just add some young rye to this because it's otherwise very just an old mm -hmm. candied wonderful vanilla kind of cask, but like you want that young rye. So that's, uh, so you didn't, in this case, you're completely bl blending all the flavors through with the barrels. Any seven years, 100% the start. There so we're drinking the final like, product, which I guess we kind of yeah. already had in the Let's go. One, but yeah. uh, let's do the, uh, yeah. So the, the char notes are really wonderful in this. Um, the, um, the amount of, I think that's where you kind of understand the whiskey, the amount of, um, uh, expense that goes to giving it such a forward flavored nose and palate. Uh, the finish on it is really terrific. Uh, at that price point, you're just getting this like very bold drink that actually it works well with cocktails as well. I assume it's exactly. kind of one of the goals is to have that whiskey show itself in cocktails. You're not going to miss this in a cocktail. Yeah, and you want uh, like you want to start with the same concept of having a a mainly driven a corn base, you know, whiskey, mm -hmm. but really deliver the right oak balance instead of doing a peppery bomb mm -hmm. that is uh, more, you can use it like, uh, I think there is a versatility to it mm -hmm. that uh, sometimes the problem that I have with uh, when the cast is a virgin cast but is not properly seasoned is mm -hmm. green. Mm -hmm. So green. Yeah. There is no green here. Yeah. Like I'm, the point here is let's do some f a whiskey that doesn't have that green forward, choky, oaky character, but is more invitational. That has a, an initial like invitation that is mellow in the beginning, but then finish barrel forward and fruity. And that is a uh, that is done by like just doing it a little bit different by involving the the the, the outsiders into this process, like. Uh, uh, ask the you know ask the wrong people the right questions. You know? Yeah, so you, so explain to me. Ask the wrong people the right questions, which kind of explains your career a little bit as well. I feel. Uh, yeah, I, kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so so t t tell me that. So uh, I think innovation comes in the moment you 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 reach out outside mm -hmm. and um, and and really when you ask a winemaker what is the type of cask he would be using for a whiskey. You make, make him think about it, you know, mm -hmm. and then you complement, of course. When you go to a Cooper, in this case, uh, my guy Napa, that was like uh, focusing on wine so long, saying, I need uh, spice. Right, where do you go? Yeah. Where I get spice? I'm missing spice. Yeah. And you get an answer from a guy that usually is not involved. You can sometimes uh, find interesting solutions. Yeah, and I yeah. think this was the result of... This project has been amazing because it's been the result of a lot of trials and error. Like yeah. it's been two years in the making, just just trying. And, and we started, uh, we were super happy with the wine. We decided to go ahead with the wine and then came out the other element. And, right. and the whole innovation pipeline will be treated like that. Like we're going to be... Uh, reaching outside, uh, right? So you're oh. this isn't you're going to be releasing more products in the future. Absolutely. Are they going to be like regular releases or one offs? Uh, depends. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes one regular, sometimes uh, one offs. Another the Bareface brand, or yes, yeah. Bareface oh, okay. is uh, is going to be the brand showcasing all the possibilities of Canadian whiskey for us. Okay, from so, our this point is, so this of view. is the Bareface Triple Oak. That's, yeah, that's this is going this... to be there always. It's oh, going yeah. to be uh, constantly there. Uh, 
We're going to give a use to all these fantastic wine casts that are coming out every year from wineries. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as they stick to our approach on the type of oak, French, and the type of wines previously there, we can use them. Yeah. Uh, but all these casks then ends up like as a planter. So is it good to give them another use? Right. Why not? Right. That's right. Yeah. So uh, I think that is a part of the project is also give another layer. But uh, certainly uh, this is just the beginning and and it's all about being absolutely transparent about the process. Like in the back label, you have literally the days that we're doing this. Everything is like straightforward. Yeah, you you are all about being open. Um, you know, you don't you don't say the distillery your uh, thing, but you kind of can figure it out if you read the bottle. Um, <laughs> but like you said, for you that's not important because you want a seven year old Canadian whiskey. That's, yeah, that's what I want. You're using that as a base layer, and now you're you're edging on these these other um, elements. Um, the um, no, this is really terrific. I appreciate this uh, taking through that blending process because I think that's always so. Uh, innovative and you know you can go to a winery and get the same idea you go to a winemaker and just like how do you make your wine they'll bring you to this process well this is too sweet so we did this um hungarian oak is now kind of really coming into the industry uh from a price point is it i'm assuming it's expensive it's expensive yeah it's, it is pricey is is pricey um in in this case uh the wine casks are used only once okay because the really hungarian i plan to use them three times Okay. Because I feel there is extraction over three times. Because you're using them for 14 days. So yeah, I'm being like... extremely open, even yeah. with that. So wine cask is being used only once, because if I use it a second time, I don't get the same extraction. Right, you're not going to get the red wine. Or no, the, no, I, 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 it's only once. Yeah. But Hungarian, since it's a virgin, it's just been done this year. It's like the cask <laughs> has been dry aged for three years. Yeah. So these are casks, the... the they're being sitting outside in Hungary for three years. It's and amazing then. what a blast of flavor you get from that oak. Uh, and to be fair, there, the, I have tasted whiskeys before that were just over Hungary, like just way too much Hungarian oak. Yes. I remember, I think I was at a whiskey show like five years, seven years ago, and somebody's like, oh, this, I can't remember what country was like this new thing. Like, we're using Hungarian oak. I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing. And then, but it was just like, the, the, yeah, it's it, so far. It it, it, I tell you, it's 14 days. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. some cask is seven days. Yeah. Like, it's kind of, I need to be on top because then it's too much. Right, right. It's very fast and it's very flavorful and spectacular. And then when they finish their life, they become my Solera. I was going to ask about that. Back so that's of the house. Back of the house. So yeah, the same of course. with the wine barrels, too. They're yeah, done. That's, uh, we house. keep giving a use, of course. Yeah. We're not doing a barbecue with that. So, so <laughs> You're not selling those barrels. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah. we're not. Oh, we're that's terrific. Um, so how did you get into this? Because I feel like you've got a pretty, this is a pretty good dream job here. You've you've taken a brand that's <laughs> brand new with, with a good amount of money behind it. This is this is a, a big company that's, I, mean, I shouldn't say big company. This is a, a company that's making a foray into Canadian whiskey, which is, by the way, the most exciting whiskey category. But it's the, the first podcast. into spirits, you know? Yeah, but this is the first foray into spirits. Um, so how did you come about this? Because I, I've, so you've been a commodities trainer at some, a trader at some point. Yeah. You worked at procure, Procurement, which I think sounds, uh, sounds a little boring, but but that's how, but that's <laughs> how everyone you, says that. But that's how you got uh, here. That's yeah. how you got here. Yeah, I came from the back of the house. So um, I, I started my career as a trader, like trading paper. 
Yeah, you're like, like commodity oil. paper. Like, I was going to go up tomorrow, so I'm going to yeah. buy oil or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, I, and one day I decided just to go to the physical world. I say I'm done with trading, you know, a piece of paper that says corn, a piece of paper that says oil. Because you never uh, own the corn or the oil. You no, you, you, you can like make it like uh, deliverable, but <laughs> it's not the intention. The intention was to make money on papers, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm an economist. Mm-hmm. So as a background, I did my studies in Italy. So it's kind of, uh, and suddenly one day I say, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found a job as a, to deal with all the raw materials, like especially malted barley mm-hmm. for a, a brewery that uh, became very big after, mm-hmm. like this is more than 15 years ago. Today is a bad, but right. yeah, but uh, was uh, back then was like a very small Brazilian brewery. Mm-hmm. So I, I was in charge of, uh, of dealing with the, uh, bringing in all that malted barley mm-hmm. in massive uh, tankers. Right, massive. right. And I think the revelation of the job was the day I got my first one uh, delivered to the port, and the top is open, mm-hmm. and there is a swimming pool of malted barley. Describe it, how big is this tank? So it's like an uh, Olympic. Olympics, uh, and the top no, is the... Yeah, is the size of an Olympic swimming pool. Of malted barley. Yeah, malted barley. Amazing. And the top is a monster like top. There is a metallic that they leave with like a how you call it? Like with a Yeah, like the fork yeah. Yeah, yeah. fork. Like yeah. yeah, you leave that open that and suddenly you have this swimming pool and you jump inside. You literally jump jump the Jump. Sides. You jump because it's not like to the top. You jump inside and then you start collecting sample. And that that jump was the beginning for me. You collected samples of the malted barley. Yeah, to see in. how was it, tasting it. Well, that's Terry Moore right there. You literally jumped in offering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I jumped in with my shoes and everything, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that was my start. And then from there, I, I moved into dealing with rum. So I was involved in molasses. Mm-hmm. So I was trading molasses, but suddenly I was involved in distillation. Suddenly mm-hmm. I was involved in maturation. Um, and, and I did a lot of that. And then suddenly one day I got an offer to come to U.S. and, and work in the, in the supply side of things on whiskey right. for all the whiskey in North America and some projects in Canada. So suddenly by, by I ended up from a trader being more involved into whiskeys and because uh, you were involved behind some big brands that yeah for other yeah. companies um, of course in, during that kentucky boom where like a lot of these big whiskey brands yeah were I, I saw the boom happening i was in the middle especially of kind kentucky. of like you're buying barrels of whiskey from somebody else and you're sourcing barrels kind of yeah it's like the scotch is uh, like the scottish model in which mm-hmm. there are like excess there is trading between and all of that. It's kind of in Scotland, it's the same. And I was the the guy with the weird accent walking around Kentucky. So it was Being pretty like, Can fun. I, uh, smell some of your barrels over there. Uh, but also whiskey for me, I'm Venezuelan born. Mm-hmm. Uh, whiskey is huge. Used to be a massive in my country. Like, uh, really? Yeah, it was uh, one of the per capita biggest consum- consumers of whiskey in the world. Wow. Um, uh, back then, when uh, like uh, years ago. That's amazing. Yeah, years ago, you had a steakhouse that would consume more whiskey than a country. <laughs> like a steakhouse would consume more uh, scotch whiskey than Argentina, for example. You had yeah. that crazy stuff going on in that country. So 
my whiskey background was coming solid as a consumer from there. So yeah, you, you failed to mention, but yeah. you've been a consumer in the industry this entire time. Yeah, so you kind of, of understood course. where the whiskey, uh, yeah. the direct direction was going. And, and then I ended up uh, moving again and mm -hmm. I moved uh, to California to learn about wine. So mm -hmm. I worked uh, in a winery in Sonoma mm -hmm. and, um, and I got them into some spirits. I was going to so say, a wine that made a whiskey. Yeah, you learn and yeah. you attach learnings from one side to another. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, I can, I can tell because I, I looked at your LinkedIn. So you basically worked for the same company that made Masterson's uh, whiskey because that was a 37, whatever they called themselves. Yes. Yes. So that you would have probably been behind that. Some, yeah, yeah, some at least in parts. Yeah, no, that's. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's a great whiskey that we we certainly have a, a strong feeling with. It's one of the first whiskeys I had that I like. Oh, I really like Canadian whiskey because that was a really <laughs> brought forward a certain amount of oak and 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 flavor and rye and spiciness to it. Um, but anyway, you happened to work at the same time in that company. I don't know what you did there. Um, let's assume that you assume <laughs> yeah. you were at least partially involved there. Yeah. Oh no, that's really interesting. That's, uh, that's uh, yeah. a very interesting historical background for kind of that Canadian wink because that was a huge whiskey for Canada. It was huge. It made uh, whiskey Bible named like the number one whiskey it's in the true. world. That um, is true. Uh, whiskey uh, Whistle Pig also kind of jumped on that. They we were using very similar source barrels uh, from the same distillery, uh, and, and it was a huge. Yeah, huge it was whiskey. the beginning of rye. Like, it was the beginning. Rye has in some a, ways beginning of Canadian whiskey in yeah. that world stage. If we ignore that Canada's the biggest seller, or second biggest seller of whiskey <laughs> yeah, in the world, the monster, like, like sure, like we're we're gi gi gigantic monster player in the world, we, and no one mentioned no no <laughs> like consumer kind of that that high end consumer premium marketplace was wasn't present as as much as is today five seven yeah. ten years ago. Um, so this and this is kind of your starting point, which I think is really interesting. So Bareface, uh, you know, right now is is your starting point. This is your entry level whiskey. Yes. Um, are we assuming that the other whiskeys are going to be costing more? Like they're going to be like $60 whiskeys, $80 whiskeys? Potentially, but nothing to... I, I think access to the whiskey is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, here there is a, a lot being done to mm -hmm. make sure this is, can be part of like a, a cocktail. Okay. Uh, nice. Be part yeah. of like a, having fun like is uh, with friends. It's not like... Uh, there is no snob uh, or any pretentious here. Yeah. Uh, the beauty about this bareface for me is like there is no pretension, there is no story mm -hmm. more than we're here to disrupt and give you quality, yeah, and give you a different experience and give you especially something that tastes completely different than you ever taste before from a whiskey perspective, yeah, especially at that price point. Something is there is this texture that usually you find in very old, older uh, whiskeys. That has a, a length mm -hmm. and uh, and and is not just something to just mix. You can drink on his own. Yeah, uh, is a whiskey that may has evolution in the glass that is very interesting. So we did something very different, and and I think the my uh, the philosophy behind is let's make it taste to the most people we can because personally we need to engage with Canadians first. We cannot like. Yeah. Pretend to go U.S. and we need to be embraced locally here. Yeah. It's like, and and if we talk about diversity, this is like reaching out very diverse people in this uh, in this project. And this is my first time really doing something that there is a transformation involved more than finding something interesting, mm -hmm. very cool mm -hmm. to put in a nice glass, right? And a nice bottle. 
So this is the first time there is a very uh, intense transformation in something we found that is already good, actually. But yeah, I that's, this is like I said, it's it's you know everybody's really talking about this whiskey on the uh, uh, cocktail scene, but also just just people that are buying whiskey just to sip at home. Uh, um, terrific branding, terrific whiskey. Uh, love the bottle. Um, the um, the experience here is wonderful, and the fact that you're ma- making this about available whiskey and kind of multi-purpose whiskey as well is uh, is really wonderful. Um, I guess you're not going to tell me what you're going to release next. I assume that's not going to happen. I but I will be soon here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so. What I'm saying is, uh, give me six months, I will be here with the next. Oh, that's amazing. Okay? That's amazing. In six months, I will be here, and uh, it's going to be crazy, crazy, crazy. Simply is what I can say. Uh, one other one other question I'll ask because um, I think um, Alex, your brand ambassador for yeah. Canada, we, we talk about this all the time. Um, Ten years ago, twenty years ago, uh, the story about whiskey was like, oh, the distillery was built in eighteen twenty four, and some guy made it. And they they <laughs> yeah. got brewing barley from his brother's farm, and they made whiskey uh, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, and that that's been the story that's been just repeated over and over again. Um, there was this weird moment in time where I, I was interviewing somebody, and they were like. Look, honestly, through the 80s, we just kept lying about our whiskey. And then we realized, oh, crap, people are like recording this, writing it down because people start to care in the 90s what people were saying. So there's all these stories being told about whiskey that weren't true. It was just it was just it was meant as an urban legend. It was meant to entertain. Yeah. People were talking about whiskey and just telling entertaining stories and meant to entertain people, not necessarily to be factual. And then people started caring. The internet came up, Wikipedia. People cared about these things. Um, and so Alex and I talk about this all the time. Like it, it's the story today isn't about where the whiskey came from, where the distillery is. It can be. It's, it certainly can be a very important part of the story. But it's more important to how like people care how the whiskey's made. How's it finished? How's it been done this? What's like this whole tasting we went through? That conversation would have, wouldn't happen 10 years ago, 20 years ago in a broader audience. But today it does. And I, that's really fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I strongly believe in transparency and, mm-hmm. and really share what you're doing. I think consumers are 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 not stupid. They know yeah. what they're drinking. They know what they like. So why don't we tell them everything? Yeah. It's yeah. like, let's disclose everything. There is nothing to hide. And that's why the bottle has like scratches because we're getting in, right? So yeah, it's, yeah. it's all about that. Like uh, years ago, a scratch uh, label, you you wouldn't release it, right? Like Yeah, that's right. So that, that's <laughs> the, the bottle itself has a uh, etched glass, I guess. Yes, thank you, Alex. Um, and uh, and the label is kind of scratched through as the etching comes through. It's a very kind of nice, nice, nice touch. Yeah, there was some critics uh, when we were presenting. It's like, why this label is scratched? It's like, that's the whole point. I it's bet like, you the LCBO loved we it. We don't like, care. Why, why are you giving us a scratched <laughs> bottle? This looks we terrible. We're going to get returns. This is about the, the process, the liquid, the quality, the, the experience. And... Uh, and, uh, and here, this is simply to innovate. We want to keep doing it. And uh, this awesome. is just the beginning of oh, everything. Love it. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank uh, you. Um, so are, are you on social media? I didn't, I didn't ask you before. I normally do. Are you on Twitter? Yeah, Instagram? I'm on Twitter. Like okay. uh, Bareface Andres. Okay, Bareface Andres. There you yeah. go. Uh, perfect. And Alex is also on, uh, what's your Instagram? Uh, Bareface Whiskey BA. Bareface Whiskey BA. Perfect. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. Uh, do follow, especially Alex. Alex tends to jump around to a lot of bars. Uh, he's a fun, fun Instagram account to follow. Uh, I'll follow you on Twitter now. That's wonderful. That's great. Um, and thanks so much. I will have those uh, posts in the show notes. So thanks so much for coming on, Andre. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers.